Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to today's episode of 219 Green Connect, where we explore topics about the environment and green living in Northwest Indiana. For past show archives, news, and upcoming events, you can check out our website at 219greenconnect.com or join us on Facebook or Twitter. Our ID on both Facebook and Twitter is 219 Green Connect. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. I'm your host, Kathy Sippel, and with me today, I am very glad to have Dr. Kenneth J. Schoon. He is a professor of education at Indiana University Northwest. He is author of several books, and the one that we're going to be talking about mostly today is called Calumet Beginnings. That's the one that really captured my heart when he was our speaker at my Indiana Master Naturalist class several years ago, uh, and I just was thinking, I've got to be honest with you, Dr. Schoon, that geology might not be my favorite session, but you quickly made a convert of me. I was so interested with the way that you described how our how region was formed from glaciers, and that's really the main reason I wanted to have you on today, to talk about your book and, you know, just share some of those key stories. So thank you for being, being with us today. Um, I would like to just start things off with can you give us an idea of some of the various phases of the Lake Michigan shoreline and maybe you know some things that people see today as evidence of those glaciers carving out our area uh, in place names and things like that that we might not think about if you didn't have that background? I'd be glad to do that. Uh, Lake Michigan was formed about 14,500 years ago. Uh, when the last glacier to visit this area receded. Uh, glaciers got as far south as the Ohio River at their greatest extent, but that was a long, long time ago. And the uh, Ice Age had several major occurrences where the ice came south and Indiana was largely covered by ice, and then the ice would melt back and the earth would get warmer and we'd have normal what we consider normal weather again, and then there'd be another ice age and so forth. And the last one, the very last one, ended, as far as Indiana is concerned, just about 14,500 years ago. The edge of the ice built up a large, what, what we call a moraine, a very hilly mass of dirt and sand and rocks and boulders and tree trunks and anything else that the ice was pushing and this moraine was sort of U-shaped, going from Michigan through northwest Indiana into Illinois and up to Wisconsin. And when the ice melted back from that, the water was trapped, the meltwater from the glacier. The wa- meltwater couldn't go north because the glacier was still north of here. And because the moraine was U-shaped, the water couldn't go west, east, or south. And so it flooded the area in between. Uh, which formed the very beginnings of Lake Michigan. Now, much older uh, descriptions of all of this will use the phrase Lake Chicago. And I and other geologists have found that the name Lake Chicago for the early stages of Lake Michigan was really confusing. So we don't use that term anymore at all, and we refer to Lake Michigan. Now, where was that shoreline? Well, the easiest place to see that shoreline is right at uh, on US 30 at about Indianapolis Boulevard, where Teeble's restaurant is. Uh, in fact, if you stand in front of the restaurant, 
you can imagine yourself standing on the beach as it was 14,500 years ago. Uh, think of US 30 as being the shoreline and the waters of the lake washing up and the waves coming up towards you. And then the shopping center on the north side of US 30, where Strachan Van Til's and I think Walmart are, uh, would be down on the bottom of Lake Michigan. Wow, that's just amazing. Shoreline <laughs> extends northwest into Dyer uh, along US 30, and then west uh, in Illinois along what's called the Glenwood Dyer Road. And even on the Glenwood Dyer Road, you can see places where the lake used to be. Uh, particular, there's a roller rink, a roller skating rink that's down in where Lake Michigan used to be. Uh, the Warsaw Inn, which is a restaurant out that way, is down in what was the bottom of Lake Michigan. As you go east into uh, Lake County and over to Porter County, the Glenwood shoreline, and by the way, it's called the Glenwood shoreline because it goes right through the village of Glenwood in Illinois, uh, is much harder to see. Uh, but if on the west side of Lake County, particularly from uh, Cherville West, uh, the shoreline, you can still see the shoreline. Uh, in fact, there was an early historian named Timothy Ball, uh, for whom uh, Timothy Ball School is named, and he lived in the Crown Point area, and he describes uh, in his mind the waves washing up against the shore uh, thousands of years ago uh, where Teebles is now. Then the lake level dropped. And that was because the glacier melted back uh, past the Straits of Mackinac. And the water in Lake Michigan poured out of the lake at the north end. And so Lake Michigan was gone for about 200 years. Uh, but the Ice Age wasn't over, and the glacier advanced and blocked the northern end of the lake again. And gradually, with rainwater, the lake basin filled back up again, but it didn't get as high as it did before. It came up to uh, an elevation of 620 feet, which is 20 feet lower than the original, and its new beach, uh, for, it was formed along where Ridge Road is today. Uh, from Gary through Griffith and Highland and Munster and Lansing, uh, Ridge Road there is not an east-west street. It goes southeast to northwest. And that's because that was that's where the beach was. And in many places along Ridge Road, you can see the sand dunes on the south side of the beach that were formed when the lake was there. And as you drive down Ridge Road and you look north, you can see the ground sloping down into what had been the Lake Michigan at that time, which is about 12,000 years ago. And uh, I guess that's my favorite shoreline because uh, there's a, a, a highway, uh, used to be Route 6, uh, but today R Ridge Road, that follows that shoreline almost perfectly and goes all the way from Illinois to the middle of uh, Lake County. Well, of course, we know that Lake isn't there anymore. So, Kathy, it went down <laughs> one more time. <laughs> Uh, but this time, for the same reason, the ice melted past the Straits of Mackinac. But the Ice Age was basically over as far as we were concerned. The ice never 
advanced again into Michigan or into the lower United States in this area. And so there wasn't anything to push the water back up. And we were maybe 4,000 years uh, where there was no lake uh, where it is today. The deepest parts of the lake, uh, out in the middle of the lake, still had some, still had water in it, but nothing near the Calumet region. Well, in 4,000 years, lots can happen to that land. Uh, it dried up. Uh, seeds would uh, be blown into the and into the area by the wind or birds flying seeds, and gradually grassland and forest began to grow on the bottom of what is today Lake and had been Lake Michigan. And everybody who studied this knew that, but there was no physical proof until a few years ago uh, some uh, interested in underwater archaeology and shipwrecks and searching for airplanes on the bottom of Lake Michigan, exciting things like that, were doing a scuba diving in the forest on the bottom of Lake Michigan. It's uh, many miles, I think it's 10 miles northeast of East Chicago. And the trees died as the water rose up and buried them. They're flooded, actually, and oak trees don't live well underwater. And so the oak trees died. Gradually, the uh, the branches fell off and rotted. And the only thing that's left are the stumps. But you can still see the stumps on the bottom of Lake Michigan. And if you take your hands and wash the sand away, you know, wipe the sand away from the bottom of the trunks, you can see the roots going down into the ground exactly as they were about 8,000 years ago when the water drowned it. That formed a third beach that we call the Tolleston Beach that went through Gary about 15th Avenue and uh, in the eastern part of Hammond in Hessville was 169th. Uh, over near Holman Avenue was up closer to 165th. Way over in Porter County, it formed uh, it's what is now Route 12 uh, going from about let's say, uh, Route 49 towards Michigan City. And then in the 3,000 years or so since that time, the lake has dropped and gone up and down and up and down and up and down, forming 150 different beaches between uh, the Tolleston shoreline, about 169th Street in Hess, down to the, down to the north end of Whiting. So it's been a very interesting history, and you can see so much of that as you drive around the Calumet region today. Well, I I was just transfixed when you presented that, and I remember, you know, just going from <laughs> not knowing I was interested in geology to just being fascinated. It, you know, awakens you to so much when you're driving around our area. And um, I happen to live in Valparaiso. I don't know if we really talked about this prior but um, I'm particularly interested in, in the Valparaiso Moraine. So would you be able oh, to Valparaiso say Valparaiso Moraine, oh, sure. Uh, when the glaciers were advancing and coming down from Canada, uh, they moved material two different ways. Uh, somewhat like a plow pushes uh, snow off of a parking lot. You know, it pushes it in front of it. But probably more than that, a lot of the the 
the dirt that was on the ground and any trees and anything that was in the way of the glacier got pushed and sort of absorbed into the ice. So the ice became very dirty and it advanced on, on one of its last trips uh, about 15,000 years ago or so. Uh, it stopped and the edge of the ice went just north of Valparaiso and through Crown Point uh, and into Illinois and built up a pile of hills. You could call it a rubbish pile, uh, a natural rubbish pile that was composed of, of sand and mud and clay and uh, huge boulders uh, from bedrock up in Canada or Michigan and uh, tree trunks and dead animals and you know whatever was on the ground got pushed south and then dumped at the edge of the glacier. Uh, and because that, that landscape, which is now hilly, uh, so easy to see at the city of Valparaiso, they named the whole thing that goes from uh, Wisconsin through Illinois, Indiana, and up into Michigan. It's all called the Valparaiso Moraine. And it's really very, very obvious. If you are in Valparaiso and you drive on US 30 just east of town, all of a sudden the land is flat because there you've gotten off the moraine and into the land that was sort of like a floodplain. It's called an outwash plain that is on the south side and the east side of Valparaiso. But Valpo itself is really hilly. Now in Lake County, we have the moraine too. It's much wider in Lake County. And because it's wider, it is, the hills aren't quite as, as steep or as tall. The whole moraine is sort of spread out from south of Lowell all the way up to US 30. And so there are not very many really hilly places in Lake County until you get over pretty close to Porter County. And as I recall, 109th Avenue uh, from Randolph Street East uh, gets to be really hilly. In fact, the first time I drove down that road, I was surprised that Wow, this is in Lake County, and it's is a really steep hill, but that's part of the moraine. The moraine oh, is mainly sand, and uh, so you know the Valparaiso moraine actually had a a ski. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a resort, but a place where you could go skiing because uh, the hills were high enough and steep enough to you could go skiing on it if the weather was held. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you spending some time on that because I am within walking distance of some of those lakes. I'm, you know, right, right kind of uh, in the place where that moraine is very visible. And I, I just enjoy learning about it. And then the other thing Can I wonder I, if you could comment is the kettle lakes. I mean, some of those are much deeper than you might think for lakes of a pretty small size. Would you be able to say anything about their formation? I sure can. Uh, the kettle lakes are much deeper for their size than Lake Michigan is. Lake Michigan, of course, being hundreds of miles long, is deeper altogether. Uh, but the Kettle Lakes are surprisingly deep. And that's how they got their name. Because they reminded the early so roughly 100 years ago, uh, of the round bottom kettles that engineers in Indiana used to, used to cook stews and soup over and now, when I think of a kettle, something I can put on the stove so it has a flat bottom. 
but uh, in the old days had round bottoms. And the kettles were formed by a hunk, huge hunks of ice, as big as uh, a house or a city block uh, that fell off the glacier and down into the ground in front of the edge of the glacier. And as it fell, it created a big crater in the ground, which was wet and soggy anyway. And then as the ice slowly melted and the ice age ended, it ended up being a, a big hole in the ground filled with water. So those lakes north of Valparaiso are direct descendants of the glacier that was here uh, roughly 15,000 years ago. Now, you don't find very many of those lakes of the Calumet region. And that's because every time it rains, well, not every time it rains, but generally when it rains, um, mud from the from the area around the lake is washed into the water. And if there's a river or a stream, it erodes its channel. That erosion, the top of the level of the lake was out, and with all the some of the lake so here's the Dr. Scoon, well, I hate to interrupt you, but you're cutting in and out a little bit. Are you are you on a, a cell phone? I am, but I have it as as was requested a, a very similar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's okay. connected to most power, so it shouldn't. Fine. Yeah, most of the time you're fine, but it's just cutting in and out a little bit. So I don't know if if it's possible to find maybe just one one spot or or how we could make I, it better, I but. I, yeah, I haven't moved, moved since we started talking. Okay, it's just such great information, and I'm afraid that some people might have missed a few key key pieces. But uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll let you just we'll keep going. We'll do our best. <laughs> okay. Uh, so south of of Lake County and Porter County, there are basically no kettle lakes in Indiana, the rest of the state. But north of here, where the glacier left. 13,000 years ago or 11,000 years ago or 10 or 9 years, thousand years ago, uh, these lakes have had less time to fill up, and they're not only deeper, but there are more of them. Uh, Minnesota had the nickname the land of 10,000, even before anybody counted them. And they were kind of nervous about the fact that once they counted, maybe there wouldn't be 10,000. And it turned out they're closer to 15,000 lakes in Minnesota. So there are plenty of those kettle lakes north of here. That's amazing. Well, and then the other thing I find so interesting, you know, I'm I'm big on the hiking, especially right here around Valparaiso, uh, where I live. I, I live right on the north side by the the Kettle Lakes we've been talking about, sometimes you'll see boulders, you know, that are just really large and lots mm-hmm. of sand. And so many of my visitors to the area, they think that a landscaping company must have brought those in. <laughs> and I tell them, no, I'm pretty sure those came came here more or less in a natural way, especially at the Moraine uh, Nature Preserve. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, at about 750 north. I just, I mean, that's just such a beautiful ravine. And I don't know if you, we didn't talk about any specifics on that one, 
but I'm just so curious when the very um, biodiverse plants kind of made their way here too. I know you're a geologist, but I'm sure some of these plants <laughs> came here because of all these different, um, you know, glaciers and kind of interesting things that were happening with the, the water receding and then filling back in. Could you say anything about, um, you know, the diversity of our plant life as maybe caused by the, the glaciation? I can. Uh, uh, let me first of all refer to your boulders. Uh, depends where the boulder is as to whether a landscaping company brought it there. Uh, if you see it in the Valparaiso Moraine, especially away from somebody's driveway, it's probably quite natural. Uh, all these boulders, if you in half and looked at the inside of the boulder, you'd see that it was the same kind of rock that today you see today. And the glaciers did bring them down. Uh, and in the Valparaiso Moraine, it's quite native. But a lot of people have paid to pick them up from the moraine and take them to their uh, house and drop them at the end of their driveway uh, in Windsor or Glen Park or Portage. And so it's no longer in a native space, but it probably is in Indiana Rock that originally was up in Canada or Michigan and, and got pushed down to the glaciers. Now, the plant life, we live in a fascinating uh, we have plants from the east, from the north, from the south, and from the west, all growing near this end of the southern end of Lake Michigan. The glaciers brought seeds down from for uh, oh jack pines and tamarack trees that are very they'll grow it as the Indiana Dunes region, and because of the dry. We have plants that are very common in the southwestern deserts. Uh, cactus. How many people realize cactus grows quite wildly uh, in, in Indiana? Uh, northern Indiana, not far from Lake Michigan, uh, in the sand, again, around the Indiana dunes. Indiana is, and this is where I'm going to mix a little history and geology, but Indiana is the west end, basically, of the big hardwood forests that characterize so much of eastern North America. Uh, when Abraham Lincoln's father moved to Indiana, uh, his most important tool was an axe because they had all these trees on his property and he had to cut down the trees to build a log cabin. Uh, he needed the wood from the, from the branches for firewood to heat the house and to heat their cooking, uh, their, their food. And they needed to clear the land so they could plant crops. Hardwood forests cover all of Indiana, just about almost all of Indiana, or used to before the farms, uh, farmers cleared the land and planted uh, corn and soybeans and things like that. But that's not true for Illinois and uh, South Dakota and Nebraska and Kansas and uh, Iowa and places west of here. Illinois is called the prairie state. Well, where uh, the climate region is, on the border between Indiana and Illinois, we have native prairies and we have native forests. The forests common to the east, prairies common to the west. 
and we have things like the tamarack tree that is native to the north, and we have prickly pear cactus, which is native to the south, all growing uh, in the Calumet region. And uh, it's, it's a result of the geography, of the winds that bring moisture up from the Gulf of Mexico, and the type of landscape, whether we have sand dunes or river or a floodplain or a marsh, all of which we have here in northwest Indiana. So, yes, we have more than a thousand, more than 1,200 different kinds of plants that grow naturally in northwest Indiana. And, almost, and most of those can be seen in the Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, which is not understood, but is truly uh, a, is a national park. Yeah, it's really, really amazing, and I've I've seen it or heard heard it said that Northwest Indiana is one of the most biodiverse areas in the country, if not the world. Would you concur as a scientist? Yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. Of all the national parks, for instance, uh, the Indiana Dunes ranks number three. Some properties uh, in biodiversity. There are more wow. different kinds of plants in the Indiana Dunes than in all of Great Britain. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it, that you're it, putting It's an amazing the- landscape, and geologists and botanists have come from really all over the world to study the plant life here. Well, the, it's the birthplace of the word ecology, right? Do you want to say anything that about quite whole true. Yeah. Not so much the word, but it's it's certainly the beginning of uh, yeah, uh, the Europeans well, I, got into it before we did. Okay, okay. Well, Andre I know Coles. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Coles brought his college students out here to study uh, plant life in the dunes, and he knew it very well because when he was a student, he came out here to the dunes to do his PhD dissertation on the plant life in the dunes. And he was amazed when he saw, you know, the Glenwood shoreline and the Calumet shoreline and the Talliston shoreline. They had different kinds of plants growing on them. The, the landscape, the climate was identical, but they didn't have identical plants. And he realized that the age of the land makes a big difference, that time is an important factor. And so he, he kind of invented, or at least he sort of proved, the theory of succession that plants will change, the plant, what grows in an area changes over time. And nobody knew that before Henry Coles studied that right here in the dunes. So, yes, you're quite right. This is often called the birthplace of North American ecology right here in northwest Indiana. I love that. And since we started talking about Coles, that reminds me of your most recent book. Do you want to say a little bit about that and the... uh, the documentary that goes along with it. We could probably do a whole other show just on that, but we'll at least have a few minutes to talk about it. Okay, well, it's called Shifting Sands. If any of your listeners haven't uh, seen the documentary, um, they're, they've missed out, but not forever because uh, the uh, public television station in the Gary Merrillville area, Lakeshore Public Television, uh, shows it fairly regularly, but it's... Uh, a documentary filmed all here in Northwest Indiana and was nominated for an Emmy. Uh, Didn't win, but uh, came very, very close. 
and we're very proud of that. And it has been shown by public television stations across the country. In fact, I think the latest number was something like 77 different public television stations outside of Northwest Indiana have shown it. Uh, The producer of that documentary, Lee Botts, wanted a book, a companion book to go along with the documentary so that people who were interested in it could learn more. And uh, she asked me to do that. And so my latest book is called Shifting Sands, The Restoration of the Calumet Region. The reason it's called that is because this area was a paradise 250 years ago. There was no pollution. The water was crystal clear. You could take a cup and dip it in the Calumet River or in Lake Michigan and drink. Uh, it, It would be perfectly okay. And we had wonderful forests and prairies and wildflowers. Uh, But then because this area was also perfectly suited for heavy industry, then industry came in beginning in the 1880s, 1890s. And by the 1950s, the, the air was polluted and the river was polluted. In fact, the Grand Calumet River is called the most polluted river in North America. It was and I, I'm horrible. Afraid I'm, gonna have to, I'm afraid I'm going to have to interrupt. I'm so sorry. I, I knew that this would oh, lead us into a time. much larger. <laughs> We're almost yes. out of time, and I want to make sure that people know how that they can reach you if you would like to accept inquiries for speaking engagements or if people would like to purchase your book. I know it's available in a lot of different places around town. You can also go to uh, your IUN page and there's a link to Calumet Beginnings and uh, a couple bookstores that tell people where you know where your books can be found but do you want to go ahead and give out your contact information sure uh, anybody who would like to contact me directly can do so by emailing me at k s c h o o n at i u n dot e d u and i'd be glad to c- communicate with any of your listeners uh, the book is Thank available you. at numerous bookstores, and so is the DVD for the Shifting Sands program. Great. Again, I think that would be another really great show. <laughs> so thanks for being well, with we me today. You're a wealth of information, and I really appreciate you taking the time to get this down for posterity so it can be shared and people can get curious about this wonderful land that we live in. So this has been another episode of 219 Green Connect, and I'm your host, Kathy Sipple. Thanks for being with us today to listen in.